Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. And welcome to episode 121 of Killer Hangover. I'm Beth. And I'm Bettina. These numbers just keep getting bigger and bigger. It's kind of fun. That's what (laughs) happens when you're counting. (laughs) Just saying. In this episode, we will be covering true crime and paranormal from the state of Colorado. Woohoo! I have the true crime this week. Mom has the paranormal and the cocktail. The cocktail. Is it a Colorado cocktail or does this have to do with your story cocktail? Has to do with my story cocktail. Ooh, okay. What is it? It's called the Mountaintop Meadow Cocktail. Ooh. It sounds tranquil. Oh, yes, it does. (laughs) (laughs) And this is from sipsfromscripts.com. Say that 10 times fast. Yeah, no. (laughs) It is delightful. Because it really tastes the way the name sounds. Oh, okay. (laughs) It is just delightful. Of course, it has a lot of things I love. Elderflower liqueur is something I just absolutely adore. It's kind of pricey, though. So now I finally found a cocktail in which I have to buy it. (laughs) We have a reason for it. Got it. Oh my gosh, Beth, it is so good. Unfortunately, we are recording virtually, so Beth cannot sample this. Okay, so this has two ounces of vodka, dry sparkling wine, uh, one and a half ounces of elderflower liqueur, one teaspoon homemade simple syrup. Yeah, that didn't happen. (laughs) It's like, wow, (laughs) she got serious. (laughs) Two dashes lavender bitters, which I didn't oh. even know exist, but they do. Yeah, there's different, tons of different kinds of bitters. Just weird. I know. See, the things we discover through the podcast. One pineapple wedge and one mint sprig. Now, the latter are just for garnishing, so <laughs> that didn't happen. I added the vodka, elderflower liqueur, simple syrup, lavender bitters, and ice to a small glass. Stirred that for 30 to 40 seconds, and I topped it with my favorite, sparkling wine. (laughs) Ta-da! With the lavender and the, is elderberry, is that what you said? Elderflower liqueur. Oh my gosh, Beth, I can't wait for you to taste this. Is it really florally? Like, is it? Flowery? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's sweet, almost almost honey-like. I don't know. It is so good with sparkling wine. My sister and I love to to drink it with just sparkling wine. That also, that drink has a name, but I forgot what it is. But a little bit of elderflower, because it is sweet. A little bit bit of elderflower liqueur with just a glass of sparkling wine. Delish. I bet it is good. It's delicious. I bet it is. All right. So I'm going to sip on this. You sip on that. I'm having some Diet Pepsi over here. (laughs) Mm. I haven't had a soda in a long time and it is hitting the spot. Good. Enjoy. Okay. It has been a while since we've had a head scratcher and this is definitely that. My story takes place in Woodland Park, Colorado. It's just outside of Colorado Springs, just north of Pikes Peak. (laughs) You're going to love... I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but... Mine takes place at the foot of Pikes Peak. <laughs> oh, of all the places in Colorado, that's kind of funny. I'm sorry. Please go ahead. I just well, that's where my story takes place. <laughs> <laughs> Woodland Park, Colorado. Uh, it's surrounded by Pike National Forest. And you want to guess how big this national forest is? Like how many acres? No, I don't want to guess. I'm terrible at numbers. You know that. <laughs> it's over one million acres. Yeah, I can't even put that number in my head. 
What did you just say? What was the sentence you just said? <laughs> I can't even put that number in my head as far as acreage goes. That's huge. I know. I can't even imagine how big that is. That's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> the way you said it, your phrasing, though, is so weird. I was like, wait, what did you say? Okay, so I'm setting the scene here. We can't. But am I? Because we can't even imagine it. Anyway, um. <laughs> We're out in Woodland Park back around the 30s or 40s, and there was this group of cabins that made up Thunderhead Ranch. The ranch was known for having the best food, the best drinks, and the best entertainment. It was run by a man named Big Bert Bergstrom, a very large man from Sweden. Now, I listened to many podcasts on this case, and all of them mentioned Thunderhead Ranch and Big Bert and his entertainment. I guess Thunderhead Ranch was known for lots of partying, lots of illegal gambling, and some sources assumed prostitution. So is this a big ranch then? I'm sorry if you said it. I... It's just a cluster of cabins kind of in the woods. Oh. Um, But I wanted to do some more digging because, I mean, who's not curious about a man named Big Bert Bergstrom? I found Say that one 10 times. <laughs> I found this blog called Restless Native. The article was written by Rob Kerrigan, and he lay out more on the big Swede than I had heard in any of the podcasts. Kerrigan chatted about those that knew Big Bert. Quote, big, rough, tough Swede saloon keeper at the Ute Inn, 231 pounds that could drink quite a lot of beer. Unquote. Mm. So, yeah, he threw parties, lots of parties. And yes, there was drinking and there's a lot of illegal gambling. But Big Bert paid for the Woodland Park Community Church with the money from his slot machines. Oh. The money he made from the food, the beer, the gambling. He built rodeo grounds, community centers, churches, and more. So he built up the town. I mean, he took he took that money not for himself, but... He put it towards the community. Yeah. And so all of these other all these other sources that I got this podcast from, they just kept saying, you know, Big Bert had Thunderhead Ranch and he had prostitution and gambling and it was like the big party scene and he was known as the big Swede and all this kind of stuff. But there was more to it than that. Like he put all of his money towards a church and a huge rodeo grounds that brought in a lot of money for the area as well because they'd obviously host rodeos. And then he built many community centers and just, like he did a lot for their community. So it was more than just some big party spot. Got it. But he actually, he has nothing to do with my story. I just... <laughs> He okay, himself, then, moving on. He himself has nothing to do with my story. Thunderhead Ranch will, but I'm just kind of setting the scene, and I didn't hear anything about his good deeds in all the other podcasts and stuff I watched. Oh. So I thought that was kind of sad because they didn't mention that. So I felt like That's it should be sad. mentioned. Thank you. He actually went to trial because of the gambling, and everybody on the jury found him not guilty. A lot of the other shows laughed about this, saying, well, yeah, because there were some of his customers out there. They wanted to keep going out and gambling and having a good time. But in actuality, <laughs> they knew that he was putting his money towards good deeds. So right. <laughs> I'm just just saying he was a good guy. He was a partier. He was a good guy. Okay, so why are we talking about Big Bert and why is Beth obsessing over Thunderhead Ranch? Well, in the 50s, after the ranch closed down, the Murphy family purchased the land and the cabins. One of the Murphy's sons moved into one of the last remaining cabins of the ranch for about 10 years. All the other cabins kind of just were torn down and it's you're in some heavy woods. There's one that was left standing and one of the brothers moved into it. Okay. He lived there for about 10 years and then he moved out and then the cabin just kind of sat there abandoned. So then Chuck Murphy, another one of the Murphy's sons, took ownership of the land, I'm assuming, uh, because he was a property developer, and he eventually sold the area for a new development. So they were going to oh. tear down that cabin and, and the land, and they were going to, I think, just put a bunch of family homes in there. Ooh, he made bank on that. 
So therefore, the cabin had to be demolished. Now, this was in 2015. By this time, this cabin was really dilapidated over the years. Like it was, it had been locked up. And after his brother moved out, Chuck had come to check on the cabin from time to time, but not a lot. I think he actually just used it for storage. Mm. But it had grown really like rotten, damp. It was now just the residence to lovely wildlife and a horrible, horrible smell. Just ucky old probably should have been torn down a long time ago so he sold all of this to build family homes and this is in august of 2015 the workers start to demolish the old cabin when as they start to remove the cabin's fireplace they discover a mummified body crammed into the brickwork oh so this is where my story begins oh oh, okay (laughs) demolition stopped I mean, they had just started. Investigators come and check out the body. The autopsy and dental work show that it was 18-year-old Joseph Maddox, Josh, an 18-year-old Woodland Park resident who had disappeared in May of 2008. Oh. For seven years, Josh's father, mother, and two older sisters had searched homeless shelters, campgrounds, through the million-acre forest around their home, Seven years ago, Josh had told his older sister, Kate, that he was going to go out for a walk. Now, this is not unusual. He usually took walks, hikes by himself. He really enjoyed nature. But time passed. Seven years passed, and Josh never came home. The family held out hope that Josh would one day come home. He was 18, after all. His sister, Kate, believed that Josh would show up one day with a wife and a couple of kids to introduce to his family. Others believed he'd gone off in search of a future with his passion of music, and they believed he'd be found out on the road playing his guitar, living his free spirit lifestyle. A more sinister reason for Josh's disappearance may have crossed their minds. I'm not saying it never did, but that was not the main thing people thought. Okay. They thought he was a really free-loving free spirit kid. He's 18. I can't even call him a kid. He was a young man. He's 18. Maybe he meant to leave. Maybe there was a plan that he wanted to leave. He was really kind-hearted. He was close with his family and joked with them that one day he would hit the open road. So they believed that walk he took that fateful May day led to that open road. Every photo I saw of Josh, he had this huge smile on his face. I mean, just a huge smile. He had long hair. I think any girl would envy his hair. It was beautiful. Uh, From what I read, he was a bit of a jokester and a class clown. One time he dressed in a choir singer's robes and randomly joined them on stage during a performance. Oh, no. Another time during a class president debate in school, he stood up and randomly declared himself as president. Oh, jeez. The two hardest things that Josh had to go through, I can't really downplay here. But his parents' divorce had been really hard on him. And then, just two years prior to him going missing, his older brother had taken his own life. Oh, no. The two brothers were very close. And Josh really took this hard. But he probably masked his pain with his jokes and his big smile. Mm. I can only assume. Of course, I didn't know him. But everyone said that his mental health and his attitude were nothing to be concerned with leading up to that walk he took in May of 2008. Seven years. It couldn't have been easy. But they found some peace in the idea that Josh had just run off to find his life, find a place in his life. But that fell hard when Josh's body was discovered in the fireplace of a dilapidated cabin about two blocks, less than a mile from the Maddox home. So weird. I know. The county coroner ruled the death an accident by unknown cause. There were no signs of broken bones, no knife marks, no bullet marks. He believed that Josh died from either exposure or lack of water after being stuck in the chimney. So he thought maybe he tried to get into the cabin just to screw around or see what was in the cabin. By getting on the roof and going through the chimney? Going through the chimney. And so he got stuck and he died of either exposure or lack of water. Mm-hmm. But the scenario of why Josh went through the chimney or any of that was all a mystery. Evenings in the area during that time of year, the temperature was on average about negative six degrees. Ooh. So the coroner believed hypothermia may be the reason of his death. 
But again, we can't be certain. They knew he Mm -hmm. didn't starve to death because that would have taken weeks. And then lack of water would have taken only a couple of days. But being in that cold would have taken less time. There are so many questions of why in this case. Why was this six foot, 150 pound, 18 year old boy found in a chimney? Fetal position, head down in a chimney. (gasps) No. Uh Uh-uh. The coroner believed that Josh had climbed on the roof of the cabin and tried to get into the cabin down through the chimney and got caught. But there are so many problems with this scenario. Uh, Yeah. First one being from Chuck, the owner of the cabin. He said that the chimney was newer and taken care of back when his brother lived there. And it had this metal grate, a steel repar which is this thick metal wire mesh, steel kind of thing, that's over the top of the fireplace so that critters could not get inside the cabin. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's really heavy. He's like, I don't understand how anybody would have gotten into the cabin because that was there. And and they found it still there? Well, the thing is, is that it wasn't there when the investigation was happening because... Remember, they're deconstructing the cabin and they the workers had gone through and taken out all of the metal scraps of the cabin, sure, including that supposedly. I mean, all the metal was taken out of the cabin to take and be taken to be repurposed Mm -hmm. or for whatever. But nobody like took record that that was taken. So there's no proof that it was there and there's no proof that it wasn't there. And also, I guess another question, was it over the chimney or was it on the side of the chimney? He said it was on the top. But kind of like yeah, but when, in in the chimney towards the top of the chimney. So if you were to get in, you would just land on it. Right. But but Josh was found what would have been below that grate. Correct. Correct. Okay. So my question, I guess, is the workers were removing all the metal. And of course, this was not noted. But was it still in the chimney or was it outside of the chimney when they found the metal yeah, grate? Yeah, that's you true. Know? But I don't nobody know. Nobody knows. Right? Yeah. And and Chuck even said, though, that that metal grate was absolutely too heavy for one person to lift. So even if it had been there, Chuck was saying, there's no way that if Josh is like, I want to get in there, he could just pick it up and move it and get down. It was way too heavy for Josh to do that by himself. Okay. I guess if you don't mind me saying, I guess I question, too, him going through a very sturdy chimney. I mean, if it had been reconstructed and... You know, his brother lived there and then moved out and then it had been sitting abandoned for what I say, 10 years. So, I okay, mean, it's so still newer for the structure of the cabin, the chimney was the most sturdy. I would assume so. Yeah. So why didn't he just break through a window? I mean, if the cabin is dilapidating anyway or, you know, decomposing or whatever a cabin does, it would have been easier just to break through a window or so, break through a door. Things kind of do take a turn for the coroner and everybody's theories. So you're on the right track with thinking that. Okay. Like I said, originally the coroner believes that Josh climbed on the roof in the cabin and tried to get into the cabin through the chimney. And Chuck is like, no, because of the metal grate that was there. And there was like this passive aggressive back and forth between the coroner and Chuck. And I just kind of think it's funny because Chuck is just the homeowner. Like, yeah, they found the body in his house, but like... He's fighting with the coroner. (laughs) I guess we do care what Chuck thinks. Um, But, you know, Chuck is kind of speaking for us because it just sounds so bizarre. And just to write Mm -hmm. it off as an accidental death. So I'm happy that Chuck was speaking up. There was also some argument, too, about the grate that maybe it had been degraded. Like, so maybe he didn't necessarily have to remove it. Maybe it had kind of started to, you know, with rain and everything else, maybe it had started to... Not as intact. Yeah, there was a lot of thought that maybe that happened. Maybe it just was no longer there. Maybe with heavy snow or with critters and everything else, maybe it had... So there was... But there was no fact that it was still there had been there had been removed with the construction crew so you just you really you don't don't know but the point of the matter is is that josh's body was found in the chimney fetal position head down so there was room for him to say he did jump say the grate wasn't there he jumped in feet first and he got stuck so there was some room in the chimney where he could have tried to wiggle around i know you get claustrophobia just thinking about it wiggle around to to try to breathing try to like turn around 
you know, and I was sharing the story with Alex and he was like, well, he could have just gone down, you know, head first, kind of like dove down. And I was like, how is what? I just can't imagine somebody doing that. If you're diving into a chimney, why would you go down head first, head first, unless you were leaning in to try to get something and you fell? But it just it gets more bizarre. Oh, before I get more bizarre, a lot of people also think that Chuck mentioned that great being there and was so adamant about the great being there because he didn't want to be sued by the family. Oh, good grief. Okay. So again, you have that aspect to it. You just, just, I'm just laying all the cards on the table. Listeners, you get to decide what you think. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. But he was adamant it was there. There was no way someone could have opened it and gotten to the fireplace in the position that Josh was found in. Okay. But this is this is where it gets bizarre. The coroner did end up reopening the case after he issued it as an accidental accidental death. He reopened the case because of Chuck and some more stuff that they found. Mm-hmm. The other odd thing that Chuck reported was that there was a large wooden breakfast bar. It had been torn from the wall in the kitchen and dragged. And keep in mind, it was super, super heavy and would have required a lot of effort. I'm not saying more than one person. I'm just saying it was heavy. But it was dragged over to the chimney in a way to block the chimney from the inside. Oh, my gosh. Now, my question is, could somebody have stood on the kitchen thing to get up into the chimney? You know what I mean? Like, did they use it to climb up into the chimney? Right. But what it sounded like in all my research was that it was pushed and covered the opening to the chimney. The opening of the chimney, right. Okay. So that that. was something he, and keep in mind, guys, he didn't go and check on this cabin on a daily basis. He just went. Occasionally. Occasionally. He was using it for storage, but this is something that he noticed when they found the body, they stopped the deconstruction of the cabin and he took note that that was there. Okay. The other thing that I have to mention, but how the body was found, fetal position head down in this odd contorted way. Yes, he could have gotten stuck. We already talked about this. But, you know, maybe he just was trying to twist and get out the other way. But answer me this. Why was the only thing he was wearing a light, thin thermal shirt? No pants. No pants. No underwear. No shoes. No coat. No jacket. Just this little light, thin thermal shirt. His socks, shoes, pants, all of his clothing were inside the cabin. And here's the part that gets me, like just chills me. All of the items of clothing were nicely folded inside the cabin near the fireplace. Folding your clothes takes time. That, I, that just, that's why it's so eerie to me. Like there's a, they're not crumbled up and thrown in the corner. They're not in a ball on the floor or they're nicely folded in a pile Outside of the fireplace. Inside the cabin. Inside the cabin. Okay. He did not go down there by himself, down the chimney, trying to get in the cabin. That doesn't make any sense now. Where's your mind? Like, I I still just don't even... None of it makes sense. None of it makes sense. He had to have been there with somebody else. And he's a goofball from what I understand. So maybe it was a dare. You know what I mean? And he took the clothes off so he'd be thinner i mean not thinner but yeah, yeah, yeah so that yeah but his pants his underwear even maybe again it was a dare maybe it was like a joke but seven years and nobody said anything like yeah and yeah. then he was just left out there to freeze to death and then and we're talking this is a very small community this isn't some big city big town i just i don't understand then why the kitchen counter thing was pushed over there by the fireplace almost like block him so he couldn't come down or it was pushed there to give him something to stand on to give him some kind of a leverage i i just don't know yeah but then it doesn't make sense as he's upside down well he could have twisted in that maybe he was feet first and then he kind of twisted to try to just finagle he was stuck Uh, the coroner looked at all of this evidence and concluded that the most plausible explanation was still death by accident. Really? Yeah. I mean, there is a mark you can mark. There's a little mark you can mark where there's undetermined death. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't marked. It was death by accident. 
How is this an accident? This just doesn't. No. That made me so. I don't understand that. He literally said, and this is a quote from the corner. This one really taxed our brains. We found his clothing just outside the firebox. He only had on a thermal t-shirt. We don't know why he took his clothes off, took his shoes and socks off, and why he went outside, climbed on the roof, and went down the chimney. It was not linear thinking, unquote. So he's saying that he was in the cabin, took off his clothes, folded them nicely, went outside, climbed the roof, and tried to get back into the cabin through the chimney. That, that is not linear thinking. That, that, that would even... <laughs> That that's your idea of what happened is not even linear thinking. Okay, I'm going to just throw this out there. If he was in the cabin, and I'm assuming he didn't leave with a big coat on that morning when he took his walk. It's May. I I I don't know. It didn't say anything about a coat. It just said. Okay, so he didn't leave with a coat on. They didn't mention a coat. He could have been in the cabin. And gotten hypothermia. When you get right. hypothermia, you get really you get, hot. Right. Yes. So he would have taken his clothes off. And I believe you get delusional also. For some reason, he went into the fireplace, either crawled in from the cabin, which makes more sense than going outside and dropping in where that grate is. Mm-hmm. Um, here, here, here. I'm going to stop you, though. Okay. There is a time process to hypothermia. It's not like you're a little chilly and then all of a sudden you have hypothermia, no, right? Right. You start to get really, really cold and you're cold for a while. You're sane for a long time before you get hypothermia and you go into that place. He's two blocks from his house. If he was getting cold, why didn't he go home? Unless he was held there against his will. Now, like I said, this town is very small. I think like a little over 7,500 people. And... Many calls were made in about this case when it happened, when Josh first went missing. One suspect was named in this. This guy's name was not released to the public, but he essentially had been going around saying that he had stuffed Josh's body down a hole. So Josh is missing. People start calling in and they report this. They don't know anything about the cabin. They don't know. I mean, because that's not discovered for another seven years. Uh huh. So this Guy was walking oh, around saying I that he see. stuffed. So that makes him sound very suspicious. But police doubted that Josh could have been crammed down this chimney by one individual. It just Josh is 150 pounds. He was what did I say? Six, six foot. Yeah, a little over six foot. They didn't think that one person could cram him down a chimney. And they have the silly grate too. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> okay, most probably you have this grate too. But the cops say, the police said that they could not place the suspect in the vicinity of the cabin during that time. They said that they looked into this guy and they didn't see anything on it. I mean, this is a super mysterious case. Or is it? Like, (laughs) we enjoy true crime and the unknown. And I hate saying that because obviously someone's life is lost in all of this. We can't lose sight of that. We can't lose sight of Josh. But cases like this intrigue us. So are we just searching in hopes of something more sinister, something more you know, clever? Or is it really an accident? Is the coroner right? And it was really just an accident. Maybe he didn't realize how cold he really was getting. And it was hypothermia, like you said. But like I said, there was a suspect that was looked into, but police never put his name out there. Mm-hmm. But over time, a lot has come out about this guy that he I guess he and Josh were planning on after graduating heading to New Mexico together they both enjoyed playing the guitar and so they I guess had talked about going to New Mexico but then Josh went missing so I guess they were friends but again the police looked into this guy and found nothing apparently okay and again this is a smaller town so these are also just rumors Oh, sure. I'm sure the rumors are rampant. Regardless, the case got a lot of interest on the interwebs. And one Reddit user in particular made this post online in 2015. This is from that Reddit user, and I will warn you, there is some graphic language in this person's post. Quote, I went to high school with this skinny, dorky hippie named Andy who played guitar in a band. 
I was never good friends with him or anything, but a year or so after I graduated, one of my good friends, Josh, started hanging out with him and then went missing. Turns out that in addition to becoming a lot scarier looking, Andy had indeed headed down to New Mexico, which is what the rumors were saying in town, if you remember, that Mm -hmm. Josh and him were planning on doing that. Sure. So Andy did head down to New Mexico, where he found himself shooting, excuse my language, the shit with the caretaker of a disabled guy and got invited over to their apartment. Caretaker gets in the shower, and when he comes back out, the disabled guy is stabbed to death, and Andy's (gasps) gone. Oh. When Andy got arrested, he also claimed to have killed a woman in Taos, Taos and stuffed her body in a barrel. The cops had indeed found a woman stuffed in a barrel. Oh my gosh. But already had somebody in custody for it and decided to stick with that guy instead. Years later, I found out that the caretaker had died in a bar fight. And without him, the cops didn't have much in the way of evidence somehow. So that case against Andy was dropped too. Oh, you're kidding me. Several of us went to the cops saying, quote, yo, Josh, who went missing was last seen with Andy, who's a murderer. Maybe you should check that out, unquote. Despite a fair amount of pestering, nothing ever really came of it. And by nothing, I mean the police mostly didn't even return our calls and once accidentally called the bulletin on Josh because, quote, he's alive and well and living in the next town over, unquote. Uh -uh. He wasn't. He was actually in the chimney of an abandoned cabin like two blocks from his parents' house. The coroner said the body had been there for about seven years and ruled the death accidental, concluding that Josh had probably climbed down the chimney in an attempt to break into the house and gotten stuck, which, given the age of the corpse, doesn't seem overtly ridiculous, except for the fact that in addition to Josh having last been seen with Andy immediately before his stabbing spree, people called in to report having heard rumors that Andy was bragging, quote, put Josh in a hole, unquote. Somebody had ripped a heavy bar off the wall in the kitchen and propped it against the fireplace. Or the fact that Josh's stuff was already inside the cabin, meaning A, he'd already broken in and would have had to lock himself out to have to go for the chimney, and B, he might have noticed that either the flu or the big bar would have prevented him from getting in through the fireplace. Or the fact that when he was found, Josh's knees were above his head, which sounds to me like he would have had to go in head first. Disclaimer, not an expert at fucking all. Or maybe the fact that Josh was barefoot and naked from the waist down. This is just my opinion, but I don't care who you are. You don't try to climb headfirst into a chimney via a hole rusted through a metal grate with your dick hanging out. As far as I can tell, nobody even bothered to call Andy to ask if he knew anything. By the way, from what I hear, Andy's still out and about doing his thing when he's not in the mental hospital. Oh. All I'm saying is, I wish they had done some police shit. Open an investigation, try to track down some leads, interview some of the folks who've been calling in tips for the last seven years, maybe check for some semen or something. I don't know. Don't just say accidental. Dust off your hands and call it a day. Unquote. Wow. So Andy does, in fact, exist. He was also a music lover. He played in a band and apparently lived quite a free lifestyle himself. It is not unthinkable that Andy and Josh may very well have known each other. Andy's full name was Andrew Richard Newman. He was arrested on suspicion of a fatal stabbing in New Mexico. That is real. True. That went exactly as a Reddit post had described. He went unnamed to the public for a very long time. They did say we have somebody of suspicion, but then it was ruled an accident and closed. According to most all my resources, Andy is in fact in a mental hospital now. Um, But with all the weird things, the breakfast bar, the clothes folded. I really don't know why Andy wasn't called in for real questioning. Mm -hmm. I I don't understand that. There's just way too much contradictive, contradicting evidence in this case. It's all over the board. Yeah. So told you it was a head scratcher. That's for sure. Oh, that's where you're going to leave us. That's how I have to leave you. I don't have any answers for you. Oh, do I like that? No, I don't. <laughs> Holy smokes, Beth. That I mean, I only talked crazy. about I only talked about Andy because that was just a big suspicion. And the Internet is kind of swayed to think that Andy had something to do with it. But even if you put a person in that scenario... Where does it fit? How does it fit? Yeah. 
you know, drugs were found. I just don't. How does it fit? Why were two people there? Why did he get take his clothes off? Why would if somebody if Andy or anybody was intending to kill Josh, why would they take him to the roof and shove him down a chimney? Or was he already dead? What I mean, was he already? Yeah, 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 that's true. That's true. But how? How though? There's no gunshot wounds, no knife wounds, no broken bones. He died of, according to the coroner, hypothermia or dehydration. So he left that morning to go for a walk. Was he camping out at the cabin just to kind of get all of his stuff together, and then maybe he was going to head out, and then something happened? Like I, or did were the guys together there and? It was a dare to go out and spend the night without clothes on that night. You know, I mean, as a dare and then go spend the night where outside of the cabin, you know, as a dare. And then he died of hypothermia outside of the cabin. And I, I don't know. I mean, like you said, it could be so many things or an accident. But I just don't see this intelligent, well liked guy going down a chimney head first to get into a dilapidated cabin that he could have broken into. Plus, he was already obviously in the cabin because his clothes were there. That is the most baffling case. I know. I remember hearing it for the first time a few years ago on a podcast. I, I couldn't even tell you which one it was. I remember it really sticking with me, but yeah, I, it's definitely a thinker. What do you guys think? We want to know what our listeners think. I want to know some more theories if we haven't named some already. Whew. Yeah, I'd like to know some more theories too. That's really interesting. My drink is gone. <laughs> Sorry about that. The very weird scenario. I swear, Beth, I could not breathe when you were talking about him being. I have this thing about being in a tight, and I'm not claustrophobic, really. But the thought of being in a tight space and not being able to move, it just It's makes like my heart there's pound. a show that the boys were watching about these guys that were some on National Geographic, these guys were climbing into caves and they were like going down and you know they had to go through they have to like shimmy mm-hmm. through these teeny tiny little caves to get to this big open cave underground. And the parts when they're like shimming through these little tunnels Makes oh my just, god oh my gosh I get oh I can't even imagine yeah it's the weirdest feeling because I know I'm not really claustrophobic but when you're talking about splunking or anything like that splunking. it's just like there you go that's the better word <laughs> it's it just makes you it, it makes it hard to breathe or being in a casket <laughs> like, oh my gosh that reminds me when Katie and I my sister and I when we were doing a um a breakout thing. What's it called? Like you solve, you know, they like lock you in. You're trying to get out of the room. I forget what it's called, but you're locked in a room. And you're trying to solve the case to get out. Like one of the clues led us to look under the bed and under the bed was this coffin. And the clues were telling us to get in the coffin and close the door on the person in Ugh. the coffin. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. We, we I Nobody's doing that. That is terrifying. Katie's like, I'll do it. So she lay in this coffin. We had to close the door on her. And when you close the door on her, the bottom of the coffin dropped. So she slid down into (laughs) a whole other room. And I just remember hearing this like thud when we closed the door. And I'm like, Katie, Katie, answer me. Katie, answer me. (laughs) And she couldn't because she wasn't there anymore. Well, no, she was. She was just on the other side of the brick wall from us in another room. And I'm like, okay, well, tell us what you see. Are you okay? Are you okay? And she's like, I'm in a room filled with blood. (laughs) (laughs) my goodness it was the doctor talking (laughs) i i don't know what i would have done if i i I would never have gotten into that casket and had somebody close the door on me she is just so brave anyway (laughs) you said get into a casket and i was like oh my gosh i'll never forget that i was traumatized and i was standing outside (laughs) of the situation (sighs) oh so all of you have to go into the room um, eventually she put some codes in that opened like a secret door that got us into the room with her okay oh it was gosh. really cool i think it was like the night stalker or something was after us and it was really fun <laughs> her fiance they put you in handcuffs when you first go in and they put you oh. they handcuff you to something in the room and so you're supposed to be finding keys to un you know well 
he like broke what he was handcuffed to. <laughs> he's like pulling his hands really hard and he's like, oh, I don't think it's supposed to do that. So then we're like, it's okay. And then the people over the loudspeaker were like, it's okay. Just stay in your place. Don't move around. Just pretend like you're still handcuffed there. And he's like, oh, don't worry. I can fix it. Well, he stood there for like 10 minutes. Didn't help us at all. Tried to fix <laughs> tried his to handcuffs. Fix- oh john 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 (laughs) all right sorry i'm just trying to lighten the mood and now please share a haunted tale with us (laughs) okay we're gonna go back to the same area (laughs) (laughs) to the same area (laughs) this is about 20 minutes west of colorado springs and it's a lovely quaint little town of manitou springs so have you ever heard of manitou springs I think so. Well, I will tell you that next time I'm in Colorado, I am going to Manitou Springs. It just sounds like this quaint, lovely little town. Oh, there's so much to do out there. We went out there for spring break with the boys, and there's a lot of things that we couldn't do with the baby, unfortunately, but we have like this long list of things we want to do out there. The things to do, and, and right around that area. Yes. It's it's just amazing, actually. It is. It's beautiful. So this little town was founded in 1872 by Dr. William Bell and his partner, General William Palmer, as a health resort. It was regarded as a health resort because of the many mineral springs around the area and the mountain landscape. Today, Manitou Springs, with a population of around, oh, 4,800 people, is a tourist destination for art scenic mountain landscapes, hiking, visiting the Manitou cliff dwellings. That's where I've heard about it. That's where I wanted to go. And the Garden of the Gods. Yes. So that's all around that one little town. Okay, that's why I recognize the name. Yeah, we really wanted to go to this cliff cliff dwellings. They look amazing, but we had like really I said, cool. We had the baby, and they even say like to not bring a baby even in a backpack because the it's just yeah not safe. But mm-hmm. I want to bring. I want to go so badly. And they have like the dwellings, and they have the etching on the rocks, and oh, it just sounds so much fun. But. Along with the Garden of the Gods and the cliff dwellings, you can also participate in a little bit of ghost hunting. Because let me tell you, this charming little town has some history and some spirits that don't seem to want to leave. (laughs) Now, I'm not going to cover just one place because you know me, when I visit little towns, I like to go all over the place. So I'm going to tell you a few things. If you visit, you may want to book a stay at the historic Avenue Hotel B&B which was built in 1886 as a boarding house. Now, several ghosts have reported. No. Ghosts have reported? Ghosts. <laughs> several guests. Wow. <laughs> it's really haunted. <laughs> several guests have reported activity, most of which involves children. Oh, well, that's terrifying. Yeah, I know. I, I knew I'd get you with that one. There is one adult who pays a visit. He is thought to be a coachman that used to visit the inn during the gold rush era. There are by no means menacing spirits, uh, just maybe annoying at times. Reports include disembodied children's laughter, footsteps running down the hallway, light anomalies, and water faucets and lights being turned off and on by unseen little hands. Now you have a place to stay in Manitou Springs, but where are you going to eat? There are, of course, many restaurants and cafes in town, but if you're in the mood for a more upscale, fancy dinner, which may include one or two spirits, then may I suggest dining at the Briarhurst Manor. This lovely English cottage, now think out in the English countryside cottage estate, not okay. a little teeny cottage, okay, was built in 1874 by the aforementioned Dr. William Bell and his wife, Kara. The beautiful Victorian decorated home soon became the social center of Manitou Springs. The bells would hoist. I do that all the time. (laughs) The bells would host. You do hoist bells, though, in your defense. (laughs) You do. You hoist them up and you ring them. So in your defense, it did make sense. (laughs) Well, the bells 
hosted parties, not hoisted parties. People they knew from all over the world attended the functions. Many would bring their entire families and stay for months at a time. How rude. <laughs> Talk about overstaying your welcome. This cottage, quote, in quotations, cottage is like a manor house, okay? The Bells had five children and on all accounts, five very happy children. They would often be seen running on the manicured grounds during their parents' garden parties, laughing and playing. In the winter and rainy days, they had the whole attic as a playroom in the grand home. Unfortunately, in 1886, the beautiful manor burnt to the ground. No one was injured, but the manor no longer existed. The bells were devastated and returned to England. But their stay there was short. They missed Colorado way too much. And in 1887, they returned to Manitou Springs and rebuilt their dream home. Hmm. The Briarhurst Manor did not stay in the Bell family. During Prohibition, it was supposedly a, quote, supper club. In the 1930s, it was owned by a very wealthy couple. And in the 1960s, it became a part of the Times by becoming a hippie commune. Commune? Commune. <laughs> yes, commune. <laughs> Wow, that's about a drastic change. Yeah. <laughs> From a supper club. Yes. <laughs> now, those hippies had taste. <laughs> They're going to hang out at an English manor. In the 1970s, it became a restaurant, after which it fell into neglect. In 2000, the manor and the grounds were purchased by Ken Healy, who put a lot of time, love, and money into restoring Briarhurst. It was during reconstruction that odd activity was noted. One of the construction managers reported seeing tiny childlike footsteps from a locked bedroom going down the hall. Ooh. Then there have been sightings of a skeletal Hold lady. Hold on. He heard or he saw? He saw. Footsteps. That's seeing. Ooh. Yes. Like in the dust. Why is that creepier? Ooh. There's dust on the floor. <laughs> Why is it so dirty? Oh, they're doing construction. They're, reconstru okay. they're doing construction That's on. Terrifying. <laughs> Little footprints. That is so creepy. And an abandoned. That's creepy. <laughs> I like how you just glazed over and went to move on. That's creepy. <laughs> there have also been sightings of a skeletal lady in white. Oh, she's not now just a lady a, in white. She's skeletal. This puts a little spin on our usual ladies in white. <laughs> they usually have flowing hair. and <laughs> She needs a burger. <laughs> she's skeletal. Isn't this a restaurant? Like, why is she skeletal? She floats around the grounds, especially in the garden. There have been reports of a little girl playing ball on the lawn. Not so strange, except this little girl is wearing a bonnet and clothes from over a century ago. Mm. Once, during a conference with over 100 people in attendance, a vase flew off one of the tables and landed with a crash. Now, this was seen there's... by a number of the attendees. Well, there's 100 people there. You don't think somebody just bumped the vase and blamed it on... No, I think it there. literally flew off the table. Oh. And landed a few yards away. Like somebody would have tossed it, not just bumped it. It didn't just teeter on the table and topple off. <laughs> no. Did you see I the ghost just throw that? <laughs> Blame the ghost. When really I bumped it with my purse. I don't think that would have been very remarkable. But somehow the real instance where this vase went flying is and landed though? on the ground. Is it yep. <laughs> Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Children's voices, laughter, and footsteps have been heard coming from the attic where the Bell's children had their playroom. But that house has been, was, is gone. But they rebuilt it, and I think, I don't know, they may, might still have had their playroom up there. True. True. And yet another report came from the local authorities who went to investigate Briarhurst after the alarm was triggered. Searching the second floor where the alarm came from, they found no intruder, but they did find evidence from the motion-activated cameras of someone or something going room to room. Ooh. Ooh. 
Now, with all this activity, I'm happy to say that none of it is menacing. It seems that Briarhurst Manor was filled with joy from the moment it was built. No wonder the spirits of those that once lived there liked to visit. It was just a happy place. So it's a restaurant now? Yes, it is a restaurant now. Mm, a fancy restaurant, you said. Fancy, fancy mm. restaurant. With no spirits. wonder she's skeletal. They're just little portions. <laughs> it was funny to me. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me. I would like to end with the sad story of Emma Crawford. Oh, okay. Sure, Mom. Go ahead. Leave us on a sad note. Thank you so much. Emma moved to Manitou Springs in 1889 with her mother and sister. She had been diagnosed at age seven with TB. And Manitou Springs, with its fresh air and healing springs, was her hope of a cure. And for a while, the cure seemed to be working. It was during this time that Wilhelm Hildebrand asked for her hand in marriage. She was seven. (laughs) What is Wilhelm Hildebrand or whatever his name was? What? Okay. This is a sad story. She's seven. No, she was was diagnosed with TB at age seven, but now she's like 16 or 17. Oh, that doesn't make it much better. I'm sorry. Well, in 1889, you know, things were a little different. So Emma agreed to marry Wilhelm with a condition. Oh, her condition. Wait until I'm 25. Okay. Sorry. Emma accepted with a condition. If her health turned south and she were to die, she wanted to be buried on the top of nearby Red Mountain. On the top of nearby Red Mountain. That's the way I wrote this. And I capitalized near. So I'm like, the mountain's called nearby Red Mountain? What the hell? I have to repeat that. I don't know if you can make this any better. Does she want to be on top of or nearby? (laughs) Or nearby the top of? Sorry. I've got to get this damn sentence out. (laughs) Okay. Emma accepted the proposal with a condition. Oh, we're starting over. Okay. She were to get sick and were to die from the TB. She wanted to be buried on the top of Red Mountain, which was nearby. Okay, there you go. Emma was obsessed with the mountain and was convinced that the spirit of Red Chief, an American Indian, roamed the mountain. In December 1891, 19-year-old Emma passed away. Mm. Wilhelm held to his promise and together with a dozen men carried her up the mountain and laid her to rest under a pinion tree at the top of the mountain. Unfortunately, Emma was not to stay there. In 1912, her grave was moved for a railroad project, which ended up being a flop and shutting down in 1927. Two years later, heavy rains washed Emma's coffin and remains down the mountain. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine being the one to find that? Yikes. Her skull and pieces of coffin were discovered by two little boys, actually. She was eventually laid to rest in the Crystal Valley Cemetery. A memorial stone was erected in her honor in 2004. It is said that beautiful Emma roams Red Mountain in a ragged wedding dress, never to rest until she was returned to the spot where she was originally buried. Now, I see the worry on your face. Is it... (laughs) Is it because... Poor Emma has been forgotten, but she hasn't. (laughs) Honestly, I was wondering why her wedding dress is ragged. Well, she took a ride down the mountain. (laughs) She took a ride down the mountain. That's why it's ragged. I see. Uh Uh-huh. That's sad. So Manitou Springs remembers Emma in a, well, a very different fashion. Since 1994, the town hosts annual coffin races. What? Around Halloween every year, participants create coffins with wheels. Then they dress up as Emma 
and race. I think this is enough reason to haunt somebody. Recreating the ride Emma took in her the coffin ride. down the mountain. The ride she took in her coffin. Wee! <laughs> this year, the coffin races are October 29th. You know, in case you're interested. <laughs> to start the event, there's a hearse parade. Oh, my God. Followed by 70, that's seven zero plus coffin race teams running up the Manitou Avenue in the center of town. Live music, food, and a beer garden, as well as contests for Best Coffin, Best Emma, and Best Entourage end the day. Okay, that sounds like so much fun. So there's Emma sitting in this created coffin that has wheels. And then there's, you know, guys, girls dressed in these, like some people are dressed like zombies. Some oh, people are dressed like mummies. So they have like a whole theme are, to their team. Yeah, they have this theme going on. So these teams, there's 70 plus wow. of these coffin teams. Oh, my gosh. And they're all dressed differently and stuff. And that's why they're also judged. You know, it, it the pictures are just so funny. <laughs> oh, I bet that's so much fun, though. And who what thought a of this? fun day. I have who no idea. Oh, poor Emma raced down this mountain from her burial. And let's let's recreate that. By I doing know this. Like I said, though, like that's a reason to haunt because she's like, guys, you're not getting it. Why is everybody racing down? Why don't we race me back up and put me back on top of this mountain? Yeah. Take my remains, take the headstone and move everything up the mountain where I want to be in the first place. That was my condition. Follow through with it. What is wrong with you? (laughs) Instead, you're dressing like zombies, drinking beer and pushing a coffin down the street. (laughs) Really? What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Oh, no. So now you want to go to Manitou Springs, too, don't you? That would be so much fun, though. Sorry, Emma, but that would be fun. It would be. I'm thinking of the theme I would do. I would, I would have to come up with some really fun theme. Pumpkin heads. No, I don't know. <laughs> I said cool theme, Mom. I said cool theme. <laughs> well, zombies are taken. Yeah, I, I'm sure every theme is taken. Well, I there's mean, 70 teams. Well, I'm sure. 70 teams. I mean, you really have to be unique. That's... I'd say vampires would be pretty fun. Uh, yeah. A lot of fake blood from the pictures I saw. Oh, gosh. Oh, no. That's funny. But anyway, there you go. There you go. All righty. Well, this was a good one. It was fun. Not yours. Yours wasn't fun. No. Yours made me have heart palpitations but sorry Ugh, just want to know what happened to poor josh i know and his family i'm sure i know like it's one thing to think that he went off to kind of go live his life and find his life elsewhere like that's almost i mean it's sad because you don't know why or where he went but it's almost a better closure to this oh definitely than him being just down the block from the house the whole time is just terrible yeah Oh, sorry. Didn't mean to bring you guys back down. But anyway, <laughs> moving on. We are in the Halloween theme, I guess, this full October. Yeah, we are in the spooky season. My favorite season. Spooky. Yeah, I'm excited. The patrons, look out for the episode I will be putting out. I have something very fun planned for our patrons. I am just beyond excited. For that episode beyond join us on patreon we put an episode out every week over there the link to that is in the description of this episode but it's you can download the patreon app and find us killer hangover podcast or go to patreon.com and find us there or if you still can't find us just email us killer hangover podcast at gmail.com and i can personally send you the link myself <laughs> there you go no excuse Want to welcome Paul into our Patreon family. Yes, welcome, Paul. We're happy you're here. But then you'll catch us here every other week. We'll be covering Ohio, Ohio. in the next This whole month, episode. we decided we're going to stick with the old Halloween theme. So oh, yeah. All of our October episodes have something 
to do with Halloween. Spooky season. You can find all of our resources and pictures from this episode on our website, killerhangoverpodcast.com. We also post pictures and stuff on our social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram, and we're also on YouTube. All right, Mom. Well, it was another good one. It was fun. And this drink was excellent. (laughs) Cheers, Mama. Cheers. Love you, kid.